Hi folks, Chris in Arena Studio. Welcome to episode 3 of the podcast, Just for the Record. Uh, today I'm going to be chatting about how I approach my mixes. Uh, it might be a little bit different or some of you may follow the same approach. Um, if you want to check the studio out, you can actually follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr. We're on them all. Just search for Arena Studio uh, or Arena Studio UK. That might find us. Uh, so sit back, relax and enjoy this episode. So, Mixing Music, Episode 3. Well, it is a little bit of a a strange thing, this, because most people have their own techniques and their own own ways of of manipulating their sounds and the little tips and tricks that they keep to themselves as well. But um, I'm going to touch today on what I tend to do if I get a mix sent to me at Arena Studio. How it sort of works for me is, say we've got, say, we'll, we'll... Pick a nice easy figure. Say we've got 24 tracks, drums, bass, guitar, bit of keyboards, some backing vocals and a nice lead vocal, etc. The first thing that I tend to do is just zero all the faders, bang them up there and just listen to the whole thing from start to finish, maybe six, eight, ten, possibly 12 times with everything just up there. Um, that gives me really, it gives me a, an insight of where this track's going. What's driving the track? Is it drums? Is it um, a guitar riff? Is it the vocal melody? Uh, a keyboard riff? Anything. There's got to be some dominant force in the track that I'm looking for, uh, whether it's a good guitar groove. So, say for an example, we've got a guitar groove, that's the bit that I'm going to build the mix around and uh, focus on those sort of things first. So the next step, once I've got everything um, at sort of zeroed and and I'm listening away, I tend to start to pan things and try and level things up a little bit, you know, balance the kit a little bit, balance the bass in relation to the kit and the keyboards and the vocals. So I've not done anything apart from levels, really. When I'm happy with that and it's beginning to sound a little bit like a track, the next step that I'll do is probably uh, bust the drums, bust the bass and the backing vocals to sort of bust tracks. Uh, and then on the master fader, I'll put an EQ and um, if I'm in Pro Tools, probably a seven band EQ and a nice little compressor just to, you know, maybe a bus compressor or something like that, just to rein things in a little bit. So that's the only process that I'm, I'm using at, at the early stages of a mix. Um, Then what I try and do is once I've got the levels right, I'll pan things a little tiny bit uh, where I want to sit them in the stereo field and then I start to play with the EQ, which is actually EQing every single element of the track. Uh, At this stage, I've no effects like reverbs or delays or uh, modulations or anything like that. It's just literally the raw audio files being EQ'd and then going into a little master bus compressor just to, to rein the peaks in a little tiny bit. So I find that I can get the track in general sounding quite nice with just that EQ running across everything. Um, When I've got to that stage and I'm thinking, yeah, it sounds like a song, this, uh, I usually then copy that um, EQ across onto the drum bus and the bass bus, the vocal bus, guitar bus, keyboard bus, everything. So it's the same EQ settings gone on every single bus and then I actually deactivate and delete it from my master fader. So I've I've EQ'd everything and it should sound the same as when it was just going through the stereo EQ on the master fader. I hope this is all making sense. 
Um, and then obviously the next step is to add a compressor to all the bus channels that you've created. And uh, you can then fine tune those elements. You know, you might want to, to just um, solo the drum kit and, and see how it sounds and just tweak the EQ on that, on that bus fader. Same with the bass, you know, and you start to play around with the compression settings. One or two things like that I find make a big difference. Then when I've got that sounding pretty good, and I'm talking probably in the matter of maybe an hour we've spent on this mix now, uh, because as you're probably aware, time's money in this, and the big problem that I always find in the studio is I either run out of time on a project or we run out of money, we run out of budget. So again, it's the time element that, that drives the whole studio um, for us here in Arena Studio Land. So again, once we've got those bust and sounding great, uh, I'll start to add a few um, compression settings and tweak things around, get things to sound a little bit more punchy and pokey. Also varying the levels as I'm going, so I should be in a ballpark figure of where this is going to be. Uh, next step then is I like to uh, start to have a play with a few reverbs on snares, um, possibly on a few guitars and keys, and, and mainly on the, on the vocals really. I normally like to just hit sort of my vocals around three to four to one, um, and just probably about 4 to 6 dB and then I like to do the rest with automation. So um, the next element of my track tends to be uh, making sure everything's EQ'd nicely with the EQs that we've got uh, and just gentle, gentle tittling everything really with the compressor and controlling it all nicely. Uh, we then look with the reverbs, like I say, have a little play. I normally just kick a reverb straight on the vocal of around about two seconds. Yeah, it might sound long that, but I find that that's my favourite place to just start the uh, the vocal reverb um, process and then I have a little play with things with uh, pre-delays and decay times and I tend to roll a lot of the high end off the reverb. Everything normally for me above, really above 9k gets chopped off a lot of the time on a track. Um, so, oops, there's a message. Somebody wants me already. Um, so, yeah, so that's how I tend to sort of start playing around with the, the uh, delays on, on, the, uh, on the vocals. You should be getting something that sounds reasonably like a great track now as well. Um, and then it's down to automation, more than likely. Um, I tend to like to just lift drum fills a little bit because they're going to be normally at the end of a verse or a bridge or just build into a chorus. So I will automate the drum fills just up a dB or two. So it just adds that little bit of uh, to the kit as it's... Um, as it's building for the next level of the track. Same with the vocals, you know, I always tend to then, once I've got my mix sounding something like, I'll go to the finale of, somebody's messaging me big time, I'll go to the finale of the track, which is normally the most dominant part, which is where all the backing vocals, all the overdubs, uh, all the instruments are gonna be in. That's the bit that I mix first then. I always get all those levels right, because uh, if you think about it in the context of a song, most songs start nice and, gently and then everything builds and gradually it all comes to this crescendo at the end where the vocalists might be singing an octave higher and um, pushing one or two things out there so I go for those bits get those end bits those real big end parts of the track oh leave me alone people I'm busy can you not hear um, <laughs> I can't believe that the day that I do the podcast everybody starts messaging me um, yeah, so again, that finale of the track is the important part for me. That's the bit that, that you're aiming to make shine and, and be the strongest and most exciting part of the track. That's probably the way the most exciting part. So again, if the song starts with drums, bass, keyboards, and a nice um, dumbed down vocal, really, where the guy's probably an octave below where he's going to be on the final choruses, 
um, I might look for what's going to drive that section of the song and just automate those important bits. So sometimes when the singer so stops singing, I'll just automate the riff up a little touch more and then when he come, the voice comes in again, I'll pull it down. Sometimes I'll use compressors, you know, to side chain it. Um, but it's generally automation then for me, which uh, takes up most of the time. Now I'm talking, we could probably be two to three hours into this and having something that sounds really, really close to the uh, the end product as well. Um, I normally take a break about every 50 minutes. I have a 10 minute stroll around. It refreshes the ears. Um, a cup of tea or something like that as well. And it just resets my brain to start the mix process again. So all these tips are things that I've acquired over the years. I don't necessarily mix this same way every time but I suppose the thing that I do every single mix is listen to it maybe a dozen times before I touch any faders it's just to get so familiar with the the song and and what's going on and the type of voice we've got the type of track that they're looking for do I use reference tracks yes I do all the time actually yes I'll look for something similar and let that guide me and sometimes and this is probably going to be a massive taboo for some of you out there but I'll actually mix and master the track at the same time if it's just going to be a one-off single for somebody. Obviously, if it's going to go on a, an album, then I'll, I'll just do all the mixes first and then we'll master the whole project to, on a separate event. But uh, if it's just a one-off track, then I do, like I say, mix and possibly master it at the same time as we go through the whole thing. Um, I just find that that saves me time as well. So there's one or two great things to hopefully apply to your mixes and see whether um, this improves your actual mix time, whether it makes it longer or shorter. I would imagine it's going to make it a little bit shorter for you, really. Um, so check them out, give them a go and, and let me know what you think. You know, it's always great to hear from you guys out there because we're all learning constantly, even after 35 years of doing this for a living. There's something every week that really excites me or I think, what if I do this, can I do that? And then you try it and it's like, woohoo, it's brilliant. So we're all very fortunate to be making music and mixing music and performing music. So embrace it, enjoy it and, and apply it, you know. And there is a, a lot of stigma with music production, I think, nowadays where people don't want to help you. They don't want to tell you what to do or how to guide you. It's like they feel as though somebody's going to step in and steal their money. Well, if that's what happens, then great. Good luck to them. That's what I say. It's just, just not meant to be for the person who gets shafted. Um, but we're all in it together. And I'm sure that uh, working like this can help some of you out. And we all want to we all want to earn a living and, and create great music. But um, I think learn your skills, find a process that works for you, um, that's probably suitable for how your style is and your DAW, um, and just keep practicing those mixes. You can't beat recording, recording, recording. For me, I know I'm very lucky and I'm very blessed to work in Arena Studio and own the studio because I get great bands, I get great soloists, you know. Um, so I get to work with complete beginners to really established artists and it's fantastic because really they all want the same end product which is a real good quality recording that you're trying to provide for them so those skills come over years of of mixing and mastering variances of of music and different styles for me one of the biggest things that made a massive impact for me was um we do actually pop star recording parties would you believe in the studio and they are great because all the kids love these parties and they come in 
and there's maybe a dozen kids and they're seeing a load of backing vocals around a microphone and then we have one lead vocal. Well, for me then, I then have to mix two tracks in normally about 20 to 25 minutes um, and they are over backing tracks, so it is an easy process, but to actually pitch correct and automate and compress and EQ all these vocals that are all over the place and then get them sounding something like in 20 to 25 minutes was a real challenge at first. But you know what? I stuck with it, I persevered with it, and uh, I fly around the console and around Pro Tools when I'm doing it now. So it just goes to show that no matter what the projects are, if you work on them enough and you practice your skills on them, you just get quicker and quicker, quicker and quicker and more effective as well. Um, and that was a massive learning curve for me, would you believe, not actually recording the bands working with kids, groups of kids. So um, really was a unique scenario, I suppose, as a, as a producer and a mixer to capture these voices as quickly and as easily as possible because kids get so bored and then uh, mix and master it in about 20, 25 minutes. So some of those techniques I actually apply, apply to the band mixes and the solo mixes that come in. Um, and it works great. You know, you've just got to experiment and step out of the box. Don't necessarily do what everybody tells you to do. I mean, I don't always compress. Sometimes if I think everything's all right and it sounds dynamically manageable, I won't put a compressor on it. Um, distorted guitar, I never compress because it's 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 compressed anyway um, with the distortion side of things. But, uh, you know, if it just works, leave it alone. Don't try and fix it if it doesn't need fixing. You know, and, and most people that listen to the finished products will go, it sounds great. A classic example for me is I had a guy that came in and he said, I don't want any reverb on my voice. I don't want reverb. So I said, great, leave the mix with me. Uh, a week later, he came back into the studio. He listened to the track. He said, I just absolutely love what you've done to my vocals. What is that effect on my vocals? And it was reverb. It was just uh, set differently, rolled off, short reverb, short decay. And um, people just have misconceptions of what they want it to sound like sometimes. You have to guide them and, and just give them um, what you think they're looking for, which then, when they listen, they'll either, they'll either love it or loathe it. But you can always go back, refix the mix, and take it from there. So hopefully there's a few ideas for you to listen to there and uh, and to glean uh, the knowledge from. If there's anything worthwhile, give it a go. You know, put that EQ on that master fader with a little compressor and just EQ the whole track from start to finish and then spread it onto your master buses, take it off your master faders and start the fine tune tweaks then and see how you go. And I'm sure you'll think, well, this is a pretty good method and uh, it's quite productive and quite quick. So um, for me, Chris, thanks a lot for listening to the podcast. It makes it worthwhile to chat music to some people because would you believe when I go home at night and I talk music to my wife, she's not that interested really. I see a glaze over. So it's great to chat to you guys. Uh, I'm going to be back probably monthly if I can and uh, squeeze these in because we are mad busy at Arena Studio. Um, so we're looking at probably November for episode four of Just For The Record. So for me, Chris, thanks for listening and I'll speak to you soon. Mm -hmm.